This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Andrew Harrison here. This edition of Oh God, What Now? was recorded on Wednesday before the Privileges Committee report dropped. So yes, Boris Johnson managed to spike us one last time. But never mind, listen up for rather a special edition and hold tight too for an emergency cast about the report coming very soon. Welcome to Oh God, What Now? I'm Dorian Linsky. On today's show, the Privileges Committee will eventually rule that Boris Johnson misled Parliament over Partygate. But neither he nor the report has arrived at the time of recording because they can't find a printer. <laughs> With Trump in the dock, the Brexiters sunlit uplands of distant memory and Berlusconi in a box, it's populism having its difficult second album period. Plus, in the extra bit for Patreon backers, we're asking the panel how to fix the wretched honour system in Westminster. And let's meet the panel. First up, it's commentator Alex Andreu. Hello, Alex. Hello, Dorian. And Chief Executive of Best for Britain, Naomi Smith. Hello, Naomi. Hi, hi, hi. Roz Taylor is Podmasters contributing editor and host of Jam Tomorrow. Hi, Roz. Hello. And finally, the author of How Westminster Works and Why It Doesn't, and my co-host on Origin Story, Ian Dunt. Hello. Now, we've brought the Romaniacs back together because this is sadly Ian's last show as a regular panellist. He is leaving to pursue new opportunities on the public speaking circuit <laughs> and the boards of various hedge funds. Uh, I wish, man. I fucking wish. Um, we unfortunately had to reject his resignation honours list, about which no assurances were made. Just bad news for John Stuart Mill, Isaiah Berlin and Judge Dredd. <laughs> Uh, it's nice, though, that Ian's exit coincides with the final humiliation of Boris Johnson. <laughs> we can't get enough. Ian has outlasted all of the party leaders who were in place when we recorded the very first Romaniacs in April 2017. Theresa May resigned, the as did Johnson right. and Liz Truss after her. Jeremy Corbyn resigned and lost the Labour whip. Nicola Sturgeon resigned and currently faces suspension from the SNP over the party's financial scandal. <laughs> Green Party co-leader Caroline Lucas resigned and is now leaving Parliament altogether. Nigel Farage resigned, is now a freelance grifter, and UKIP collapsed, and Lib Dem, <laughs> Tim Farron, and Plaid Cymru's Leanne Wood also resigned full house. Ian, how did you see them all off? <laughs> <laughs> I think the key is that I just, I won the argument. <laughs> That's, really, <laughs> That's really it. <laughs> First this week. The Privileges Committee will find that Johnson deliberately misled Parliament by saying he was unaware he'd broken Covid rules, but a printer issue has stopped hard copies from being published. Britain does it again. This comes amid a briefing war on all sides with Sunak, the Cabinet Office, Johnson and his allies all playing he said, she said over his nominations for peerages. Alex, as is traditional, uh, kick us off with a quick PMQ's match report. Uh, how did Sunak and Starmer handle a week of drama? Do you know... Um I, I've never been entirely convinced by Sunak at PMQs. He always, it always strikes me as an occasion that exposes his sort of lack of stature in a real way. He always looks like a mediocre opposition leader to Starmer's prime minister. But th he's been getting worse. And yeah. this, no, seriously, this week was embarrassing. It, it is like you plucked some kid that had won a, a sort of high school debating competition and they got a go at the dispatch box. Um, his punches didn't land. His jokes were weird. He accused Starmer of something that Putin would be rubbing his hands together if Starmer became prime minister and then um, sort of jabbed him about his knighthood to which Starmer uh, shot back with... Honours are for public service, not for Tory cronies. So he walked into that. Uh, complete. Well, I mean, also, chaos, he also made a joke about chaos with Ed Miliband. Oh, yes. I which, mean, is, yeah. which is an ironic Twitter meme that every time <laughs> the know, Tories I are know. on fire, I someone know. goes, oh, better than chaos with Ed Miliband. And Sunak <laughs> just goes, does that, but rot without the irony. But So you watched it, right? You know what I'm saying. I saw he, the highlights. He shrunk <laughs> even more today in stature, not, not physically, in his statesmanship. And... I mean, Starmer was having a whale of a time. 
They were laughing, they were teasing him. The support from his backbenches was really tepid. And it seems to me, actually, that Johnson has destabilized him, not oh. just politically, but psychologically. Well, Ian, what will the Privileges Committee report say about Johnson's statements to Parliament? Well, this is an absolute bastard of a question to ask me because I'm going to have to answer it before the report comes <laughs> out. But it's going to be played after everyone's Oh, heard but it. you've heard the gas. Come on. <laughs> OK, so Roughly it, speaking. it was pretty clear, I think, during the questioning of Johnson, particularly from Obota Costa, that one of the key elements was when you said you chatted to lots of, you know, your advisors and they said, oh, it's all within the rules. Who, who exactly was it that you spoke to? Because we spoke to all of them. <laughs> right. And Johnson's response was like, I'm listening to my spads. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, it wasn't OK to me at the it's time. A little, little hand puppet. <laughs> it's fine, guys. It's fine. <laughs> What's that, spaddy? <laughs> so I would strongly suspect that that report will include lots of details as to how he didn't get those assurances. And it then follows from that, that he couldn't possibly have been able to give the assurances that he gave the commons, that no parties were held. So he was misleading the inquiry, not just... You know, so this is a majority Conservative committee. Mm -hmm. They are doing this investigation. And some of them may have you know, given him some reasonable doubt over whether or not he'd misled Parliament. But once it becomes clear, he's also trying to mislead them. <laughs> Is that what sort of maybe that's also some the, of it over the edge? But it's also the least of his problems, right? Because he's not only misleading them, but he's also, tr he's essentially treating the inquiry with contempt as well. And there'll be that second finding, which we now are pretty convinced of. That it's like, well, if you treat us with, the first contempt is lying to the House. The second contempt is the way you've treated this committee, mm. which was asked by the House to conduct this mm. inquiry, which you now call a witch hunt. And I think when you put all of this stuff together, it's likely to be a pretty damning report. Do you reckon suspension for, what's your feelings, 10 days? I mean, it's irrelevant oh, I now. Know. Yeah, it doesn't. Would it, they even, does it matter symbolically if they no, actually say 20 days? I think, days? It's, I think, I think it's, it's, we've got precedent. So um, when oh, you right. look at um, Keith Vaz, um, he stepped down as an MP, but the committee continues and publishes its findings. And then, of course, John Burko similarly stood mm. down with immediate effect as an MP. And the penalty for him was you will never have a parliamentary pass again. So normally XMPs right. get to keep their parliamentary pass. They're allowed to still come and go. And that's why they get the lobbying jobs because they can still, you know, get into Port Carlos South very easily and, and chat to, you know, all of their old mates about what's really going on. So it could be that they go that far and just say, you know, you're, you're disgraced and you're no longer fit to cross the threshold. So, you know, that really scuppers his chances because there's nothing to stop him running as an MP. Uh, again, if he does want to go for another seat, but he wouldn't be able to take up the post if elected, if un unless a future government overturned that ruling. So that is still something that could happen to him. Wow. Um, Ian, Johnson has whined metaphor mixingly about a witch hunt, a kangaroo court and a political hit job, which involves the witch finder with a gun on a kangaroo. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty terrifying, to be fair. It, I mean, I would be scared by that. Um, and this inspired so many hostile messages to committee members that they've been offered additional security. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of the fine? I mean, we're always going, can he sing, can he lair? But is that the sort of the final foulness to just cook up? It's not even a conspiracy theory because there's no theory. There's no details. It's just like, it's just sort of Trumpian words. Like something bad has happened to me, so it must be someone else's fault. It's almost, I mean, look, in one week you get the, the honours list, which was just like the most sort of tin pot, fucking corrupt filth that you could imagine. Then you get those conspiracy theories about the inquiry. And then even last night, I mean, so even earlier this week, he hands them new information they then say, OK, well, we've got to delay the report for a little bit while we take it on board. And he's like, they can't afford to. How dare they delay? What are they doing? Like, even now, like, it's like even his fingernails lie. You know what I mean? Like, there's just no limit to the depravity that he'll demonstrate. And he will keep on demonstrating it every single second that he's in public life. Now, Naomi, weirdly, this, this sort of exit is all wrapped up in this, you know, fundamentally trivial disagreement about resignation honours. What exactly are the Johnson and Sunak camps claiming about this sort of crucial meeting. It's not crucial in the world. Yeah, yeah. But it's crucial to Boris Johnson's ego. But. I mean, I have tried not to follow this too closely, but from uh, my sort of scant reading of it, um, the meeting was 
part of this attempt to detente between the two of them. Um, and it turns sour when Johnson starts to insist on bringing up his honours list. And that was something that apparently Sunak had made clear he didn't want to discuss. Um, and Johnson is now claiming that this dinner was where Sunak said he would approve his list, but then callously rejected some of the names. Sunak's team saying, no, this was, uh, you know, read the fine print in their defence. They said that Sunak told Johnson he had approved all of the names and that the appointment committee uh, put on his desk and, and technically, I guess he did. He just neglected to tell Johnson that they had struck off eight of those names. And Johnson just didn't have much to bargain with. So reports are that he was saying to Sunak, approve all my mates for their honours and I'll come and campaign in the Red Wall. Mm. Which isn't actually, that's not much of a bargaining tool. When <laughs> focus group after focus group in the Red Wall, we say, Johnson, you say, liar. Yeah, he's not the draw there that he was. So I don't think Sunak would have sort of thought, oh, I better, oh, actually, I'm going to need him. They know they don't. They know that he is incredibly toxic. Um, So, yeah, look, Johnson's version of events are undermined by the fact that he is a lying liar who lies. Um, And senior government sources saying that he was warned about Doris not being on the list as far back as March. So it's you know, no no surprise to him that she was probably going to be blocked. But I think Sunak's just given himself the both worst of both worlds. You know, he just he looks weak. Um, he should have told Johnson to sling his hook and block the whole list from a disgraced prime minister. But let's face it, we're going to have to go through all of this again because Truss's list is going to be coming out mm. <laughs> at some point I, as well. I mean, we'll do this in the extra bit. But the fact that the Truss has a list yes, is absolutely fucking staggering, considering all she basically did is walk through the front door of number 10 <laughs> and, walk and walked out the back door. <laughs> That's not worthy of being able to... She came into the building with some swatches. (laughs) I think yellow. (laughs) Just was ushered out. out the back. Is this the back on? You know know those photos of Prime Minister or sort of paintings of them Mm. on the Downing Street staircase? They don't put the new one at the top. They have to move... Every time there's a new Prime Minister, they have to move them all down one. The whole time with Joss was thinking like, that poor motherfucker has to do that job. And 45 days later, he's like... What, I've got to do it again? <laughs> like, so he really is the ultimate loser. He should, well, he'll probably uh, get a peerage. <laughs> um, Ros, why has Johnson chosen to make such a fuss about a dispute that makes him look uh, cronyish, entitled, and trivial? Well, I mean, how else can he stay in the limelight at this point? I mean, Johnson needs publicity. That is that is Johnson's raison d'etre. And I don't think he can quite believe that after ruling the roost for in various ways for as long as he did that his time is now over and he is basically, you know, as we saw, we've seen the past few months and over Ukraine as well, he seizes every opportunity to make himself, as he thinks, relevant to British public life and in the process shows us increasingly how irrelevant he is. Why do you think Sunak has gone hard on, or as hard as Sunak can go, um, uh, you know, riling up the Johnson loyalists? Does he basically <laughs> just think... Oh, who, You're awful. who cares? <laughs> You're I mean, anybody who imagines that anyone but Rishi Sunak is going to lead the Tories into the next election is just, I mean, it's so utterly deluded. It's just, they, they cannot have another leader now. Uh, they know that their only chance at redemption is to keep Sunak. And the idea that Johnson himself or some, you know, some sort of Johnson ally could come back is absolutely for the birds. And I think it's taken Sunak a while to really appreciate that, perhaps, and to realise the str- relative strength of his position. I mean, obviously, he's... You know, <laughs> polling incredibly badly but in the Tory party he's the only option they've got and he's I think he's realized that just by being just by indicating that he's not 100% a Johnson fan put it that way um, he can really rile Johnson up and make in the process make Johnson himself look even more ridiculous and entitled must have been quite fun as well (laughs) he probably did enjoy it yeah Um, Alex um, class warrior Nadine Doris has (laughs) has claimed that posh boys deliberately blocked a girl born into poverty in Liverpool from reaching the House of Lords. Um, and a nice cushy pension. Right. Right? Because that's what I got from it. It was like, where's, where's mine? Well, they talk of nothing else in the red wall of this historic injustice. Um, but, you know, since, you know, as an MP, she's, she's on talk TV, she does a Daily Mail column, she's not famously 
hard-working constituency MP. So again, like I don't know whether I'm thinking about optics is just the wrong way to think about this, but it seems like pure entitlement, not I really want to get on with stuff. Yeah. You know, not like, it's not going to be like one of these people like, you know, Lord Dubbs, who's like incredibly hard I was promised. To this. the age of 90. It's just basically, I want this. I have no idea what I was going to do with it. <laughs> but like, because it won't be scrutinising legislation in detail. I don't. Think. I don't imagine <laughs> that that is her. No, top can I just say? Can I just say about Nadine that I I find it genuinely adorable and heartbreaking, in equal measure that she still sort of believes in him so much that this morning mm. at six o'clock in the morning, she was presented with a version of events as reported in the Times and a version of events as told to her by Boris Johnson. And she still thinks he told her the truth. And he's the poshest of the posh boys. You know, well, but, but she, she excludes the, the possibility that Johnson, this Very famously free. organized and on the ball person, and it must got sting. the letter saying there's a problem here. It just didn't pass the information or it indeed didn't even open it because he was probably giving some speech in the States for 250 grand. But it must extra hurt, though, when the 29-year-old or 30-year-old or however old Baroness to be oh, Owen yeah. is. Well, here, here we go, because former aide Charlotte Owen becomes the youngest ever life peer at the age of 29 for no <laughs> apparent reason. Um now, it's not for us to comment on the speculation as to her exact relationship to Johnson. <laughs> but does the fact that there is there are sort of two lanes of conflicting speculation uh, to tell you sort of everything about his reputation? His reputation and his corroding influence, right? Because for all we know, this, this is a, an utterly brilliant young woman so, who's so impressed in her short few weeks in government that uh, she deserves to be in the um, House of Lords. Um, but she will now forever be followed by this implication. The, the miasma of Johnson will follow her for the rest of her life. His having his life having come tangentially in contact with her mm. for a period of a few months, she's still basically destroyed. It's Which is kind of extraordinary, right? It's fucking right? mad when I think back to being 29 and just the idea that like one of your mates would be in the House of Lords. Yeah. Like even my most accomplished mate, I would have been like, come on, mate. Yeah, and I mean, the, the fact that she looks like BBC needed to cast Carrie Johnson in a drama from Central Casting doesn't help the rumour mill, certainly. It doesn't. Well, kings used to ennoble their mistresses' sons. Uh, you know, it was a king, uh, Charles II did it all the time. So I reckon I, I consider this progress. Yeah. I thought, I, for a moment, I thought you meant King's College. <laughs> <laughs> King's used to noble. The, well, I was like, what? So his story's just not young enough. <laughs> yes, maybe. I, Ian, when he was uh, forced out number 10, Johnson said, hasta la vista, baby. Now he promises, <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> Firstly, has he only seen one film? <laughs> And no, he's seen George as well. <laughs> Do, oh, he's, he, he's he seen, has seen George. But he, miss, he didn't understand George. <laughs> he only uh, goes for the really obscure films, I find. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he's not quoting from Le Maypris, is he? <laughs> uh, there's a scene in Battleship Potemkin, which I always think of. Um, but do you think he will be back in the Commons one day, Churchill style, um, when he could be making millions in the private sector? Because people will pay him an extraordinary amount of money to hear him spaff on. They will, which makes you sort of despair of the human race. Um, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think the money would matter to him half as much as the sense of pride and political destiny and all of that kind of stuff. I think that would be the main driving concern for him. And I honestly don't think it's impossible that he finds his way back in. So putting aside the stuff on on the inquiry and whether they can stop anything, it, he would be able to find, I think, a constituency for the next election fairly easily for selection of like a safe Tory constituency where they would be quite flattered to have someone of his sort of, you know, standing and blah, blah, blah. Standing's the wrong word. His fame. Fame. You know, there. Uh, and if he did, let's say he found himself in the intake after the next election with the Tories in opposition, it would you could easily imagine a Tory leader making the Theresa May decision of, oh, I'm, I better keep him in, you know, the cabinet rather than out the cabinet so that he's pissing in the right direction. And once you do that, his classic dynamics of trying to undermine you from within would take over. So it's, 
I wish to say it was completely impossible that he would ever return. I don't think it is. However, all of that being said, I do think the mystique is gone. Like that sense of the proven winner, the proven winner, the proven winner mm. in Tory circles. They're not complete chumps. They can see what he did. They know that the argument that he's making is false, that it was a Tory committee, that the House of Commons would have voted on it. And then most importantly, that it would have been a by-election in the constituency. And if he thought he was going to win Win. that by-election, he would not acquit the Commons. They do get that. So that mystique of he's the constant victor, that has gone. And that may eventually do for him. It looks like he's running scared from the seat that he was running. It does, which is exactly what he's doing. But not in the express... (laughs) <laughs> where he was adamantine in his resolution. Oh, wow. wow. Nothing less than absolute victory and total Brexit <laughs> will do. What is, you're a Brexit expert, what is total Brexit? I don't know, but I suspect you'll never quite see it. <laughs> is it like the impossible dream? You know, the man of La Mancha, you'll never get there. It's, it glows. It's phase four of the Tory cinematic universe. <laughs> Total Brexit. <laughs> I just think like absolute victory, and then you talk about smashing Labour, and it just yeah. seemed like I mean, you're literally leaving the House of Commons, mm. and you're, you, it's not like you're about to, con- you know, move into the Sudetenland. Like what? And what has he really got with Sunak on Brexit that he can use? I mean, the most. I mean, at the moment. To be honest, some of them have gone so batshit that even Badenoch is like the reasonable person in the fucking room. Like you the saw her in front of a Commons oh, yeah, committee. Oh, no, yeah, she's not doing total Brexit. No, she's evidently not doing total Brexit because she, she still she has... She scaled back the retained EU law bill and they'll never forgive her for that. Right. Like, she had like seven or eight firing synapses in her brain and that is seven or eight firing synapses too many. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there's no way Sunak's going to let him back on the list. I think. I do disagree with Ian on this one. Am I allowed to disagree with Ian on his last show? No, no, no. It's bad. No, we talked about this earlier. <laughs> <laughs> there's a complete right. ban on that. All right. Well, yeah, but nonetheless, some might say some might that's say. how you do it. I don't. I don't think there's any. Fuck! Way. I figured out the code. Yeah. <laughs> some people might say. I don't think there's any way that Rishi Sunak will let um, Boris Johnson run uh, for a constituency in the next election. I mean, he's he's been condemned by a uh, by the Parliamentary Privileges Committee, and he's condemned the Privileges Committee itself, which is in contempt. And that alone would be enough justification. There's no way why why would he let him oh, out and stand? Because when you're because MPs automatically fall off the approved candidates list. When they stop being MPs, when so he has to go back MPs. through yeah. that. So he has to go and, that, that and, is, and yeah, Johnson that would, uh, would presumably well, block. Yeah. And, the right unless to block. there okay, is okay. like some difference if he goes very early or if he goes after the main rump of selection, as it were. So it, it could be after, what, the, the after Sunak's gone. Things. Basically, yeah. they his his um, his. Uh, friends and allies within the party will find him some by-election to stand in. So he might come in halfway through the term, which will suit him just fine because he doesn't particularly want to work as an opposition shadow cabinet (laughs) member for five years. He's voted three times, I saw in private eye, uh, since stepping down as prime minister. So when he says his statement, I was looking forward to supporting this government as a backbench, and it's like, you'd have to be there. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to notice when he's suspended, are we? <laughs> Frankly. No. It's not something that's going to be a gaping They're going to feel that. hole in the legislature where it's like, where's Boris and Nadine? We can't get <laughs> anything done. Look at the rubbish that gets through there. Now, um, Ros, polls show that a vast majority of voters dislike Boris Johnson and agree that he should uh, resign as an MP. And do you think that... that there's obviously been a big misunderstanding. There's a big overreading, I think, of the 2019 election. And certainly his popularity went... When, in fact, the polls, you know, the approval polls show he wasn't that popular. He was just less unpopular than Jeremy Corbyn. But after the landslide, it was kind of like, well, he can do... And the Red Wall story as well. It's like, oh, only he can reach these, these places. Now, this is obviously not true now. But does Boris Johnson realise it's not true? Because he still talks as if he is the people's champion... The whatever, as the male put it, the tiger undone by nibbling, nibbling mice. mice. Just a, a wonderful metaphor and definitely worth putting on the, you know, giving <laughs> giving a full yeah. page to because everyone talks about that. Oh, he's just like a tiger undone by nibbling mice. <laughs> Which doesn't really indicate a particularly powerful tiger, I have to say. Like, you have to be a pretty shit tiger <laughs> to not no, <laughs> go... <laughs> He's more like that. He's more like that lion that's, that's on Lyle's golden syrup tins that's being slowly eaten by insects. <laughs> <laughs> but does he genuinely not know that he's not popular? 
No. And one of the reasons is because, you know, he looks around him and he sees Sunak, who's not particularly popular and, let's face it, not that charismatic, chat GPT man. Um, and he sees Starmer. And again, you know, uh, has many, many assets and many qualities, but uh, a uh, instinctive co- connection with the electorate is not one of them. And that's why he thinks that he is still the people's champion. I mean, it's a it's a paradox of Boris Johnson that while he cares deeply about people's people's approval and wants to be loved, he betrays friends and allies. Um, it's it's what happens to you. It's what happens to you when you can't when you're reluctant to make the hard choices about who your friends are and who you won't associate with. And he's never been able to do that. He can't make hard choices. You know, remember the which where am I going to remain, leave? He he finds that very, very difficult. The people's champion stuff is just a it's just an act. It's just a sort of populist meme. He just love he's created it and he loves it. And he thinks it will still run because uh, he thinks the public, the British public, are in love with the idea of a strong, charismatic leader, just like Churchill, who I know you've talked about mm. extensively on Origin Story. Yes. And he's obsessed with that idea of the uh, the strong man, the personality. It goes back to his fascination with the Greeks as well, the great man theory yeah. of history that he subscribes to. I mean, the only proviso I'd add to that is that the, there is something the British do love, and it's a comeback. Um, so he must not be allowed to to jump on that particular narrative because I think that could be dangerous. We I don't know that we are. I mean, we saw Ber- <laughs> we'll talk about Berlusconi later. I mean, he's he's the comeback guy. Mm. Not not, not anymore. Else. I'm not sure if you've seen the news. Unless you know something, unless you are horrified. He was the comeback in Colombia. Stuff knocking from inside. He was the comeback. Sorry, Governor. That was it. <laughs> Naomi, as an election expert, this wave of resignation means by elections in Uxbridge and South Ryslip, Nigel Adams, Sal of Selby and Ainsty. Mm-hmm. I've not not been hogging the headlines. Nigel Adams' resignation, and Mid Bedfordshire, the constituency <laughs> of proud scouts. And Nadine Doris. In each of these, like, break it down, like, who should, you know, which are the most vulnerable and, who, and where, which should voters be backing? Is it, is it clear in each case, go Labour, go Lib Dem? Could it get sort of messy and let the Tories in through the middle? Or any of them just, the majority is just cannot be overturned? Although I think maybe after North Shropshire, we don't think that anymore. Exactly. Um, and actually, we don't have a mid-Bedfordshire by-election just yet, because oh, yeah. uh, although she inte- you know, she signalled her intention to resign with immediate effect, she hasn't actually gone in and signed on the dotted line to do that for reasons. Um, and actually, we talked about money a bit earlier. And if you're defeated at the ballot box, you get a healthier payout mm. and pension mm. than if you step down. So she was, you know, silly to do that if uh, if she did intend to go anyway. Um, it's not that clear. Um, you rightly point out that the Liberal Democrats won North Shropshire from third place in a by-election, but the signalling from Labour was incredibly clear. You know, we'll do Batley and Spen and mm. guys do Shesham and Amersham and North Shropshire and, and, and things like that. Um, I've got an MRP poll hot off the press last week. Um, we did it under old and new constituency boundaries. So I looked at the old boundaries because these by-elections will be under, under that. Um, and I've got uh, Labour uh, in second place. Sorry, Labour winning, actually, if there were a general election, Selby and Oxbridge, and the Conservatives winning in a general election, mid-Bedfordshire. When we look at who's in second place, place it, it is you know it's it's, it's not obvious um in mid bedfordshire that the lib dems would be the best place people to go for that one because i've only got them on 11 percent labor on 30 conservatives on 32 however the betting markets that have already opened uh, are, are putting the lib dems as the the, the likely winners of oh. a mid bedfordshire mm-hmm. by-election <clears throat> however labor are saying no no, no we are going to fight it so unlike the other by-elections we've had during this parliamentary term where it was obviously that there was some kind of implicit deal going on, it feels like maybe this close to a general election, mm. that isn't going to happen. So I think Mid-Bedfordshire is one that absolutely could let uh, a Conservative candidate in if that happens. The other two are very much Labour's to lose and I can't imagine uh, the Lib Dems putting in much of an effort in either. I saw an extremely optimistic, like, pundits need something to write piece 
which said, well, if Sunak retained all three, then he might feel so confident that he'd call an autumn election. Mm. And it's like, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So put the cap back Mm -hmm. on the highlight. That's a thing that might happen. The same day interest rates shot up and mortgage products got Mm. pulled. And And Starmer has overtaken Sunak in approval Uh, rate. And wages were confirmed as having been exactly the same as they were in November 2005, 18 years ago. So an entire childhood come and gone with no change to the average uh, weekly pay packet. I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful. Of all the shit journalistic subgenres in Britain, reading the tea leaves about the date of the election might be my least. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck off. But it's the it's because it's everybody loves the kind of Sunak could still do it. Because yes. oh. yeah. you get bored. You just get bored yes. of writing the same thing for two years, which is it looks like Labour's going to win the general election. So you've got to find these increasingly elaborate, imaginative counterfactuals. Uh, and we should, should mention, actually in tribute to your policy wonkery, sure. that you wrote a very cross piece for the eye about how all of the Johnson shenanigans kind of get in the way. Well, that doesn't of... narrow it down. <laughs> <laughs> get in the way of what, of, you know, something actually really important in the House of Lords is something rather grubby about the government pushing through. Oh, it was fucking filth. Oh, yeah, it's all. And, and Labour were, were dreadful about it as well. So... There's this power that's been handed to the Home Secretary, which is basically to sort of redefine serious disruption and public order offences, which have now used in an almost comedic way to say if you walk slowly, that's now an example of serious disruption and we can do you in on it. Now, they tried to put that in front of Parliament. In fairness, I agree with that. I, was, I knew he was going to say Only on the tube. Fucking move. Execution's too good for them. So it was put in front of Parliament, it was rejected by Parliament, and now the government's just turned around and used a statutory instrument to pass it anyway. A statutory instrument basically doesn't get any meaningful scrutiny whatsoever in the Commons or the Lords. It is pure ministerial power. We've seen them use that shit to sidestep Parliament thousands of times. We've never seen a government use it to overrule Parliament. That is, I mean... like. you know what, the people who were most upset about that stuff, I mean, sure, there were some campaigners and all that. Most of it was places like the Institute for Government, mm. the Hansard Society. Mm-hmm. Like, it was serious mm-hmm. people with real gravitas. You don't want to get on the wrong side of the Hansard You don't want to get society. rid of that. You know how fucking dirty those guys fight? Like, they will take you into an alleyway and they will fuck you up. They will chew your eyes <laughs> off. Whenever you do paddles with those guys, you're like, Jesus Christ, I better take protection for this thing. Like, I, don't want to get, I don't want to get permanent damage. Like, it was... Absolutely catastrophic. Labour came out and then said, "Well, we're not we're not going to we're not going to back the fatal motion to try and kill this thing in the Lords." Wes Streeting, who I admire, who I like, was talking absolutely out of his arse to say, "Well, look, that will be the Lords overruling the Commons." It's like, no, it isn't overruling the Commons. It's overruling the government who are passing this thing. This is not to anything to do with the Commons, and it's standing up for Parliament. It was really shoddy from Labour and really very, very pernicious. Yeah, I think and that position fled from Emily Thornberry, unfortunately. Right, it was right. her understanding that this would be the equivalent of. Um, of, I mean, the the problem is that Labour are now looking with one eye to the very short distance of them being government. And so they're becoming very jittery about doing anything that somehow fetters the executive's power because they think, oh, all these lovely levers will be ours. I, I agree with that. But, but I also think there was just this really basic thing of like, there's a potential headline here of Labour votes to protect Just Stop Oil yeah, protesters. Yeah, yeah. And they just didn't want that yeah, headline. So yeah. ultimately, no, was this a... Was this a Case a good example of how Westminster works and why it doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. It's popped the bonnet. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Time for another listener question in But Your Emails. This is from Ross Schoenfeld. Given this episode contains the original lineup of the Brexit Avengers, what (laughs) single event would you travel back in time to change to avoid the pain of the last seven years? 
Would it be Alex hosting Have I Got News for You in place of Boris Johnson? <laughs> or giving Nigel Farage trading tips so he never left the city? I think you'd have to go, yeah. Oh, OK, so you don't have to go back seven years. You can go back... Any point. So you could just kill people as babies. <laughs> but let's not do that. You went there quite quickly. It's morally, <laughs> it's morally problematic. So let's just not do any of that. Uh, Naomi. <gasps> oh, <clears throat> I mean... For me, the big one is being more persuasive with the Lib Dems with my data in 2019 <laughs> to get them to not call that election <laughs> because I failed. And I'm, you know, I, uh, that that was the turning point. Well, you didn't fail. They just... Well, I failed. They failed. Persuade, <laughs> I, they, 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 they had their data and it said something very different to the number of MPs oh. they actually got. Um, whereas mine was pretty accurate. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that's so, the big one because we, we were so close. We were so close. More and more Labour MPs were coming over for a second referendum. We just had to box Johnson in a bit longer. So, you know, if we wanted to still be in the EU, I think that was probably our best choice. If if we want to go right back, uh, I would go to the people who were working in Brussels when Nick Clegg was working there, uh, when he was working for Lay on Britain. And he was apparently saying to everybody, you know, I'm obviously right wing, but I'm a Europhile, so I can't join these awful Eurosceptic Tories. Um, New Labour have got a lot of talented people. I don't think I'm going to rise to the top very quickly amongst all that competition. So what should I do? And you know, people were and saying, run and, him over. And I think Leon Britton <laughs> said, well, maybe join the Lib Dems then, which he did. And you know, if we're going to just have a little, little quiet word, and Leon's going to just get to keep him in the Tories, keep him <laughs> nah. in the Tories, then maybe, maybe we, um, we be where we are now. Ross. Well, Naomi's are actually. You know, one of them is, is something she could have done, when, and I don't feel sadly that I've ever had such uh, an impact. Well, I think, you know, weirdly, I think one of the important things would be not coming up with the word Brexit. Oh yeah, I the word Brexit was just a masterstroke, sadly, uh, because it gave a name to something that actually was completely undefined. Um, and gave you the impression that it was something that could be done, whereas, in fact, it wasn't really something that could be done in any meaningful sense. And it was just an awful lot sexier than leave. And people that started being Brexiteers and Brexiters and being just being a lever, you know, it was it was not was not enough of a pull, I think. But when you think of the number of things that's that a good joke there. <laughs> being a lever was not enough of a pull. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but I, it's just endless. I mean, if Boris Johnson didn't get into Eton, if those Tory MPs hadn't defected to UKIP and spooked Cameron, so he decided that he had to promise a referendum, if Boris Johnson had never got the London mayoralty, which gave or gave some people the false impression that he was a competent, uh, decent human being and could run uh, could, could 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 run a large organisation. There are so many. Well, I hate counterfactuals because I just think they are a loser's fantasy, and you just got to move on, accept life, and move on. But <laughs> given the question, I'm going to go large. And I'm going to go back to the point where I forget the name of the really important piece of legislation, but uh, bank regulation legislation in the US, uh -huh. which was uh, repealed. And um, I would just make sure that um, the mortgages, that these shabby mortgages were not given out. Oh, Glass Spiegel, you'd make sure that that's Glass it. Spiegel Glass Spiegel. Um, I would also make, you know, make, say to Gordon Brown, just like keep an eye on these guys. <laughs> and. I would not just prevent Brexit, but I would prevent the 2008 financial crisis and essentially be a global hero, but nobody yeah, would know no, that. that. But, you'd have that <laughs> so I'd, but I would feel yeah. it. Oh, that I really would, is going loud. Yeah, so yeah. that that is it. I'm going to just... That, that makes me feel quite shallow <laughs> in that my first thought was... Go back to 1990 and choose Paris instead of London. <laughs> <laughs> and screw you all. Well, I would have said um, Paris as well. In this okay, case. so I, I, I would have gone back to the 60s and have a word with de Gaulle and ask him <laughs> to admit the UK into the European Union, mm. the European Commission, the first time yeah. round. Because I think, having been rejected twice and set up the EEA as a rival scheme and then having to go cap in hand and 
be accepted the third time of asking really got us off on the wrong foot mm. on the whole European project. So you basically would have changed De Gaulle's personality. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think everyone will kill, <laughs> kill him as a baby. I mean, we are talking about time travel and alternate realities. Yeah. So I don't think changing De Gaulle's personality is beyond the pale. Um, Ian. Very precise. So, 9pm, <laughs> 22nd of February, 2012, the Strangers Bar uh-huh. in Parliament. Oh, you had an opportunity to take one out. Eric Joyce is about to have a fight. Labour MP Eric Joyce is about to have a fight. He's going to have that fight. He's going to headbutt several people. (laughs) It's actually quite unusual in Parliament, surprisingly. And then there's going to be a row over the selection process. And on the basis of that, this is now quite a well-rehearsed story, Ed Miliband is going to change the rules. You're going to have a very low fee, was it three quid, to vote in the leadership election. Uh... And Jeremy Corbyn gets in. And if Jeremy Corbyn wasn't, let's face it, a lever, there might have been a chance of winning that referendum. Yeah. So my proposal is we get that Avengers time machine and we put Roz in it. It's specifically Roz because I think of of the five of us, the only person who with a glance can make very clear her disapproval and might (laughs) might result in in an achievable goal here. One's enough, Eric. One's (laughs) enough. Not the headbutts, the drinks. Right. Yeah. To speak to the bar. And, and you could potentially save anymore. us. That's beautiful. I just want to go ever so quickly back to um, Rose's Brexit, because famously on this podcast, you um, talked about your disdain for the portmanteau. And you yes. did quite a long bit about it. Tonight, and then we all fuck. made you realise that Romaniac. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the level of consistency and thorough thought you come to expect from me. <laughs> Now to the man they're calling America's Johnson, Donald J. Trump. (laughs) (laughs) On on Tuesday, Trump was in Miami to face 37 charges relating to his retention of more than 100 classified documents, which he stored at various times in Mar-a-Lago's ballroom and a fancy toilet. (laughs) Republicans are queuing up to say this is fine, literally because toilets have locks, failing to notice that they lock from the inside. (laughs) The documents would only be safe when Trump was doing his business next to them. Uh, that's the Republican Party of today. Mm-hmm. Alex, briefly, what are the main charges uh, against him? I mean, I would encourage everyone to go read the meat of that indictment. It's very funny. It really isn't the dry legal document you might expect. <laughs> it's like someone fed every John le Carre novel into <laughs> chat GPT and asked it to write an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> like... It it is fast. We're talking about hundreds of documents, <clears throat> dozens of boxes. That bathroom with a massive chandelier, I just can't get it out of my head. Moved, moved, then moved again. He took it with him on holiday to uh, to uh, avoid having to hand it back. And then the last day he moved it, he moved it to hide it from his own lawyers, who were basically standing there going, Donald... We need to make this statement to the archives that you've given everything back. Have you given everything back, Donald? Just blink once for yes. And he was he was lying to them. And he's even on tape telling a writer in a recorded conversation that this stuff is top secret. I should have declassified it, but I didn't, and now I can't. And I shouldn't be showing it to you as he's showing it to them. And and, and the whole reason just seems to be sort of like ego and malice. It's not like he's sort of selling it to the Russians or anything. He's just like showing it to his rich friends and going, check out the plan for war with Iran. Yeah, basically. He, I mean, the, the motivating factor seems to be that he thinks he's still president and nobody should tell him what to do. I mean, there, there is no other. He's insane. I don't know why we're discussing his motives as if he's a rational human being. He's touched. No, that's fair enough. I was going to say, you know, not a psychologist, but yes. I mean, did you? Okay, so there are there are seven things he truthed on his social media network in all caps in the space of six minutes yesterday. Witch hunt, election uh. interference. America first, number four. Make America great again. Okay. The fifth Play truth. The hits. I wonder if the PGA players 
who didn't heed my advice and take the massive amounts of money that was offered to them by Live Golf feel somewhat stupid right now. <laughs> One of the saddest days in the history of our country. And the last one, I am on my way to the courthouse. Witch hunt. MAGA. <laughs> this is an incredible defence. I think it's going to be very hard well, to chip it's, away at and that. Suddenly the golf tweet in there, yeah, not no, in all caps. Just going, oh, that's capped down. Yeah, that's capped. Yeah. Oh. So he's going, witch hunt. Within seconds of his MAGA. This is terrible. Oh, by the way, did you see the golf? <laughs> <laughs> Um, some Democrats worried that a prosecution would strengthen him politically, and that, and that does seem to have happened. But obviously the alternative was letting him do crimes because you're worried about the electoral <laughs> consequences. So essentially, was it Catch-22? And when we're talking about what Democrats should do, of course, he's not been prosecuted by Joe Biden, even though he mm. claims that he has. So it wasn't that Democrats could just, you know, stop a prosecution. No, I mean, it is, it is fundamentally a Catch-22, but uh, you, there's still only one moral thing to do. You can't just let him get away with it or you've accepted his belief that he's untouchable and above the Constitution and above all these institutions. And by doing that, you erode the authority of the very institutions that you're trying to protect. Um, so I suppose just don't be Machiavellian about it. Just prosecute crimes is the is the only way to go. Is there a way of travelling back in time to kill him as a baby? <laughs> <laughs> would, that, would that cut the Gordian knot here? I, th- I sense we're all we're all just too too thinking too Martin Amis terms. You know. that, that's Times Arrow style. Um, Ian, Trump thinks that the rules don't apply to him, and that any prosecution is a political attack, witch hunt, uh, etc. And his supporters obviously agree, and there are threats of violence against prosecutors. I mean, is is it quite apart from the obviously that there is hilarity on one side? But is this like just a? It's almost sort of a frontal assault on American democracy and on, on the system. So is it, how sort of scary is it even as it is funny? I don't think things are any scarier than they were since the insurrection. And they're surely a little bit less scary. Nothing's improved, right? The vast majority of Republicans still sign up to everything that he says and will consider it politically motivated and blah, blah, blah. But if you think about what happened in New York, the violence, which was warned about a lot, didn't materialise. And I know it's easy to right. keep on saying this yeah, stuff yeah. until it does. But nevertheless, the violence did not materialise. And there is a chance that we can't quite see it yet because of the noise, but that there's been a slight lowering of what people are prepared to do. Like you look at the prosecutions that mm. were brought after the insurrection, yeah. that's serious business, right? It's like, well, do you, want to, do you care enough about this that you want to go to jail for the rest of your life if you're about to go out to that demo right now? And I think many people's answers to that may be no. But the ultimate poison is there, right? Which is that one of the political parties in the US has basically given up on having any connection to the objective world or any real belief in due process or frankly like democracy they don't believe in democracy now you couldn't you couldn't really say with any with any realism that they believe in democracy because they're they're all behind questioning legitimate democratic results Mm. so on that basis it doesn't matter whether it's him or the next person but the poison has truly corroded the society and there's only so long that that can continue before things you know keep on deteriorating uh, Naomi, Trump is well ahead. Uh, I think he's on about 61% mm-hmm. of all the other Republican primary contenders, um, chiefly Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and uh, Mike Pence, or as Trump supporters know him, Hang Mike Pence. <laughs> Christie, who doesn't give a fuck, and was literally almost killed by Trump yeah. um, because he caught COVID while doing debate prep with Trump. So he, he really hates him. But the others aren't attacking him. Mm. So... Like, what's the point of running against him if you're not going to go, you're not going to point to the rape case, you're not going to point to the uh, the criminality yeah. here? Like, you, know, you, can't, you can't then complain if you don't win, if you're not going to take him on. Uh, but they're afraid of him. Um, Chris Christie, uh, at least with no more beaches to close off for his own personal use, did make a forceful critique of Trump in the wake of his indictment on CNN this week worth watching the simple answer is the rest of them are afraid of him um they're afraid of the mob that he can unleash on them uh they're afraid of him humiliating them at one of his rallies and they're afraid that they just can't siphon off anywhere near enough of his base to have an impact and that is the deal with the devil that the republicans made when they embraced him back in 2016 and once you surrender control of your party to someone like trump there's no getting it back um, and, you know, we're a, over a year away from the first primary. 
But it does seem like it is an almost inevitability that Trump is going to have to become their candidate and that anti-Trump got members are going to have to rally behind one candidate as the Dems did for Biden in 2020. Well, is there a problem that, that I suppose they thought DeSantis was going to be sensible Better. Trump? But he's actually <laughs> just boring Trump. I mean, he's yeah. an appalling authoritarian. He's like disgustingly bigoted and right wing. But also he just doesn't look and sound like a real animated person. Totally, totally. Like his stock is falling very, very fast. And um and look any any Dem but Biden might be able to beat Trump. Um but Biden would be able to beat DeSantis, I think, and and anyone uh, other than Trump at the moment. Um and and yeah, like his DeSantis, you know, his, but it, his stock's falling. It, I just can't see him pulling it back at this stage. He's just like a crap version of Trump. Yeah, I mean, the, the 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 conundrum for them is that if they go against Trump, they then lose a considerable chunk of Trump voters in the election proper. And so I think that's why they're trying to manoeuvre themselves into a position where they might be the leading person that's not Trump behind whom everyone else mm-hmm. unites mm-hmm. without actually attacking Trump. Because if they attack Trump, even if it works and they get the nomination, they're then fucked at the election yeah. because Trump mm-hmm. voters, he will probably run as an independent mm-hmm. or something anyway, and Trump voters will consider them traitors like they did Mike Pence. Uh, have you seen that? Um <laughs> ad um, that involves DeSantis reading a bedtime story (laughs) to his son and he's wearing a MAGA onesie. Mm. Um, You know, he's literally handing Trump that kind of material to, you know, use on the debate stage and Trump doesn't even need it. Um, But this is a man who baptised himself as a Trump acolyte as well. You know, he's sort of, you know, criticising Trump. It's not going to be DeSantis. I think his curve is downward, actually. Bag of shit. Ross. Um, to say what you think. Don't. Many excuses were made for Trump voters in, in 2016, uh, the left behind and so on, and it was wrong to call them deplorable. But now that he is openly promising to obliterate the deep state, destroy Marxism, which I think is a massive problem in America, uh, prosecute Joe <laughs> Biden and so on, like is a vote for Trump in 2024 basically a, a vote for auto- autocracy? Is there a kind reading of the kind of person that would vote for this man? Well, yeah, we must try to think of that, mustn't we? Because there, there are decent people out there who vote for Trump. You know, there are some because there's so many in America that you can't completely write these these people off. Unfortunately, it's it's yeah. I mean, if you're voting Trump, you're voting for an individual who wants to be all powerful and who wants to destroy institutions. So yeah, that's absolutely the you know the definition of a of an autocracy in that sense. But that's not how the people supporting him are thinking of it. They are thinking strong leadership. Uh, and of course, they perceive Trump as a libertarian and not a threat to personal liberty. And that's why the kind of autocracy thing doesn't stick so much, because they don't see him as the kind of person who would crack down on civil uh, on, on personal liberties, who would um, oppress them in a way. They see him uh, as an enabler of their own personal freedom. And while they continue to see him in that way, that's how he continues to be so dangerous, Mm -hmm. even though, as we know, you know, yeah, he wants to be, he would quite like to be an absolute dictator. Now, you see, I don't admit, I'm still, I'm sort of optimistic on on Biden's chances here, despite his age and his his low approval ratings. It's like what Trump is offering is this very sort of dark, violent paranoia, sort of, you know, the American carnage line, but but Mm. more so. And the Biden still seems like I, I, I still think people the, the Biden still represents like uh, politics doesn't have to like make you scream every day. Mm. So he's like a reasonable, empathetic dude. You know, I'm sort of rather fond of him. And one explanation for why he's decided to run, despite his age and despite the fact that it's pretty hard to let go of the presidency, is that he thinks he is the person best placed as he was in 2020. Is he? Do you think he's right? Is there anybody else that they're they're kind of sleeping on like, oh, if only it was Kamala Harris or Pete Buttigieg or whoever, then you could sleep easier. Or do you, you know, I mean, could you name Barack Obama two years before? Yeah. He he appeared on the scene as a serious prospect for the president. Yeah. 
Yeah, he was like an um, he was like a serious rising star. There was huge talk about him. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Based on based Middle on of his, his first based term, on his speech in two thousand four, I would never have never have thought that. But I mean, anyway, you may know you may know Democrat politics better than me. But it seems to me that that the person emerges in the process rather than um, is someone who is really blindingly obvious will make a, a, an amazing campaign yeah, and, before and the event. That's, that's the problem. There hasn't been a process. Mm. Uh, I'm fond of Biden too. You know, he's a, he's a great man in many, many respects. And he has that ability to contain multitudes and to, even as an individual, resolve paradoxes. I mean, he's, he's not anti-abortion, but he's a Catholic and a practicing Catholic. You know, things like that Biden can get away with, which not everybody can. But there is a strong chance he will die in office. He's very old. He's not, you know, he he's not a great speaker and we see him, we do see him stumbling. Mm. And it speaks to the Democrats' kind of lack of confidence in their ability to pick a leader who can unite them. And in a way, sticking with Biden is a way of avoiding looking at the party and trying to reconcile the the two big, you know, forces in, in Democrat politics, which are the, you know, I know we, we use of woke is problematic, but come on, you know, the social justice side of Democrat politics, the very activist, the reparations, that side of, uh, Ameri- of Democrat politics versus the working man version of what uh, the Democratic Party should be. And while they have Biden in place, they don't need to do that. But if they choose a new leader, right. if they choose a new leader, they need to find mm, someone who can someone somehow either bring those together, which is going to be really hard, or go for one or the other, which is risks alienating core parts of their Because Biden came out with a stronger, like his, his sort of speech about LGBTQ people and particularly... Uh, young people was something that Starmer just wouldn't could never just would never say in a million years and it mm. was like oh my god this is this is extremely air quotes woke and yet he yeah. still got the kind of honest Joe from Scranton kind of yeah. you know and he can say that because he's so elderly and so therefore he can't really be associated with what some Democrats would think of as a dangerous tendency in the party um in Silvia Berlusconi died earlier this week at the age of 86 he's Bunga-bungering with the angels now. Uh, Sean, is, is, you've, you've become quite macabre this episode, I've noticed. There's been eight to nine threats of murder throughout <laughs> history. <laughs> Berlusconi's recent But death. usually as babies. <laughs> no, so is, you're right yeah, there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've bided my time with this one. <laughs> and I wonder if, if he is the guy, even though sort of he was he was so much earlier that he's the the guy who draws up the blueprint for modern populism and a Johnson and Trump in Berlusconi's mold the sort of corrupt swaggering clown rather than someone like Orban who is sort of very sort of serious and glowering and and sort of therefore more efficient but the perhaps Berlusconi was the was the template there's a little bit of, of both right of the Orban and the Johnson to him like because on the Orban front if you look at what he did with the media that's quite Orban. Right. I mean, Orban bought up media, had full sort of control over the information ecosystem in Hungary and still does. And Berlusconi had pretty much the same. I mean, he just bought up the private entities, but then the state media entities also had to answer to him. So, I mean, I think the, the estimates at the time were about 90% of the information coming from a country that predominantly deals in TV news rather than reads newspapers was, was somehow connected to him. So he had kind of a template there. But unlike Orban, who has a very clear sort of ideological structure and a sort of systematic approach to how he was going to try and do that to the country, you didn't really get that with Berlusconi. It was just the clown car bullshit. So Moses, I mean, he fucked the country up. I mean, economically, obviously, catastrophically, yeah. and in terms of the institutions and its politics. In fact, some of the electoral changes he made then led to sort of, you know, Five Star and, and to Salvini and to the things that happened afterwards. But he didn't really have that very clear idea of what on earth it was that he was trying to do. So in the end, some of the methodology was all banned, but the end result was quite Johnsonian. Also, I would say that he haunted me throughout the fucking period, like throughout Brexit, because I, rem- I remember being in you know, uni or whatever. You'd look at Berlusconi in Italy, you'd be like... What kind of a joke country would let this go? What, like, not even once, but t- not even, fuck, yeah, three yeah. times. You're like, you've got to keep on doing it. An Italian commentator actually said that. They said that, you know, Johnson is your payback for taking the mix. For taking the piss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For all those years. With we deserved it. Because, you know, yeah. I felt 
super. I remember that period. You feel like, oh no, I mean, look, it, we, I, we've got mistakes, but we'll never do something like that. And it turns out, no, no, we take, we totally will. Now Trump is in the unusual position of being uh, either a man. He stands at a fork in the road. He's either a man who will spend the rest of his life in jail or the next president. <laughs> now, does that? show in a sort of perhaps reassuring way the crucial difference between Johnson and Trump and Britain and America is that our rule-breaking narcissist lost his job, lost the job underlying that job or gave it up, and most of the country hates him, that there are are not people, apart from the Dean Doris, willing Mm -hmm. to die in a ditch Mm -hmm. for Johnson. There's not half of the country that believes that this is a witch... When Trump says it's a witch hunt, I feel I feel it. if Johnson this were I feel if this were a drama, the the hubris theme yeah. would be coming in round about now. But, but, but simply look at like say polarization. Like when Trump says witch hunt, half the country agrees with him. Yes. When Johnson says witch hunt, even most Tory voters just like move on, mate. Yes. No, that, and there has to be something to it, right? When Johnson fell, I remembered seeing sort of liberal American commentators who I really like. I mean, there was nothing unreasonable about what they were saying, going, it's weird, right? Like, why is their system holding up better when there's no written constitution than ours is to Trump? Hmm. Well, there is a written constitution. So most of my replies to them were just like, no, no, do not overstate. Like, this has got nothing to do with any kind of constitutional thing. It's not that we're smarter. It's that ultimately Johnson lost his base. For all that he wants to go out mm. there and talk about how he was yeah. stitched up in the room, and was like, no, he lost his support in the country. And because he lost his support in the country, the MPs went to his office and the ministers went to his office and went, you've got to step down because you're now an electoral liability. Everything followed from the fact that he lost his base and Trump didn't lose his base. And that, you know, for all of the, like we've been doing this podcast for many years now and, fl- and flagellating rightly, I think, on what Britain has become and our weaknesses, but there is something there. It's not about being proud of it, but it is, I have to say, about being reassured that there's a capacity to maintain your rational thought about politics and not go in for the leader worship that we've seen in the US. So it is a good sign. And if you look at how this week has played out, this bizarre mirror image story of the mm, same mm. process happening on both sides of the Atlantic, you would rather be on this side of the Atlantic than that side. And that will be true, I think, for as long as we manage to keep our media in a state that's not as hopelessly polarised as the mm, US media mm. and where it's not possible to live in effectively a right extreme right-wing bubble as it is in the US um, and where, you know, state broadcasters still have some sway and are not completely vilified much as much as people like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nadine Doris and all the rest of them try to vilify the BBC. While we can actually maintain that, uh, then I, I think we still do have a chance, as you say, of uh, public opinion not being swayed by a by a, an egotistical populist. Well done, Britain. <laughs> I think that really sums up the message of the show. Well done, Britain. But I, 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 don't, I, I fear we are going down that route, though, I'll add to it. No, Ros, it was positive for a minute. What the fuck? <laughs> We have reached the end of the show. Thank you so much to the OG crew, Ros Taylor. Thank you. Naomi Smith. Thank you. Alex Andreu. Thank you. And hasta la vista, baby, to <laughs> Ian Dutt. <laughs> Shall I say something very quick? I, I, I'm not very good at emotional things because I went to public school and I'm deeply traumatised and broken as a human being. So I will oh, do this yeah. very, very... This is entirely true. Uh, so I'll, I'll make this very, very quick. But I don't say, like, whenever we do live shows... Uh, and even like sort of doing book signings or whatever, anyone that listened to this show over the last sort of five, six years, however long it's been, would always sort of cop and sort of go, oh, thank you very much because you kept me sane. It was always that same line, which I think all of us sort of got at those things. Uh, for me, oh, human emotions, one moment. For me, it was always that you guys kept me sane throughout that period. And um, yeah. So we had a sort of long period. I just think like everyone in this room has sort of at some point sort of we've gone out to bat for each other sort of professionally and socially yeah. and politically and personally um and so it was a tremendous sort of privilege really to uh you know to have that with you guys at this point and uh, i'm very very lucky to have met you all oh please. thank you 
Ah, stay tuned for a sneak preview of our extra bit exclusively to Patreon backers. Uh, we'll dry our eyes. That's after Demon is a Monster by Corner Shop and the traditional thank you to our army of generous supporters. You too could join them and get the podcast early and without ads, plus bonus episodes, exclusive Q&As, priority tickets, merchandise and lots more if you search Oh God, What Now at Patreon. Hello from me and many thanks to John Levin, Chris Bye, and Steve Taylor. Many thanks and greetings from me to Simon Parsons, Faisal Doris and Arcane Logic. Best wishes and thanks for your support to Gaynor Clarkson, Penny and Ellen Hughes. Uh, and finally, for the very last time, it's hello, thank you and all the best from me to Catherine Robinson, Claire Gibb and Kerry Taverner. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. Oh God, What Now is presented by Dorian Linsky with Ros Taylor, Naomi Smith, Alex Andreu, and for the last time, Ian Dunt. You centrist c- You t- c- Massively c- Son of a Size of a cow's ass. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor was Jacob Jarvis. And the producer was Chris Jones with audio production from Simon Williams and me, Alex Reese. Art direction by James Parrott and Mark Taylor. Oh God, What Now? It's a Podmasters production. Welcome to the extra bit. This week, as discussed, Johnson's resignation honours is a fiasco which exposes the weaknesses of the whole stinking system. How would we fix it? Um, Ian, start in your uh, book. Oh, thank God. Back to political analysis. Excellent. <laughs> right, let's do it. In your book, you defend the Lords as a means to scrutinise legislation. Uh, with good reason. How wounding is this peerages for cronies system to do any kind of uh, rosy view of the Lord's role? Well, to be honest, I think that's the sort of secondary attack that it has. I mean, the first attack is you just put a bunch of hopeless cronies in the Lords and therefore it can do its job less effectively. But then secondarily, you corrode people's trust in the Lords, which essentially eradicates the potential for the only effective chamber that we have in our democracy. This week alone... The Lords was the place where for day after day after day, a committee stage, they took apart the illegal migration bill where they've been challenging the Public Order Act. To four o'clock in the morning. To four o'clock in the morning, exactly. Where the Commons, the Commons will never fucking do it because the government majority will just drift through, drift through, drift through. No amendments, certainly no successful amendments. In the Lords, that happens. If you look at the statutory instrument dispute, where is the committee that actually looks at statutory instruments? It is the Delegated Legislation and Regulatory Reform Committee in the Lords. They are the only places looking at this stuff because there are people there who have expertise and are independent of political parties and operate in a chamber where the government does not have a majority. That is absolutely key to it all. So I think prime ministers like Boris Johnson are very happy to do this kind of thing, not just to get their guys in there, but because it's their way of taking down one of the only institutions that actually is capable of scrutinising what they do. Oh, so part of the point is to make it look... I think it's a really useful secondary effect for them. Mm. Would you scrap resignation honours altogether, uh, given what we were saying earlier about the fact that Liz Truss is going to get them, and given the fact that, um, you know, Private Eye said that of Johnson's 38 honours excluding peerages, Mm. expanding this out, five were for public service and 32 were for political service. And I, I just couldn't see any reason for this apart from the fact that it is convention i couldn't see any if you were starting from scratch i couldn't see any what is the reason for resignation there's none there's just we should take it away from them it's abysmal and it's not just abysmal in terms of the people that it puts in but it's abysmal because it hands the prime minister during their time in power yeah well that was a teaser for the bonus bit of this week's podcast if you'd like a little bit more oh god what now every week without ads and a day early then do yourself a favor and sign up to back us on patreon for as little as three pounds a month you'll also get our exclusive weekly minicast oh god what else every monday morning and some fabulous merchandise thank you for listening and see you next week 